We're just receiving reports of an incident at a farm in Sussex where a number of people have been arrested in connection with annoying the nation. It is believed that the owner of the farm, Mr Hibbert, has been cooperating with police and government officials in a plot codenamed Operation Less Pricks and kindly granted permission for the use of a 17th century tithe barn as a temporary holding place for those arrested. Although not confirmed, we are led to understand that those already charged include bus drivers who don't wait for people to sit down before pulling away from the bus stop, taxi drivers who use their horns instead of knocking on the door, people who moan at the council about the streets being full of litter, not stopping to think that it is people who drop litter, not the council, a room full of drama teachers listening to Bjork, grown men with replica shirts worn over their jumpers who stand up and stretch out their arms when the opposing team fail to hit the target. An assortment of scriptwriters, novelists and playwrights who own Argus but don't know how to use them. A musical equipment reviewer responsible for an article titled Microphone of the Month. A woman who described herself as a little bit Bridget, a little bit Ally, a little bit Sex in the City, and chose to call her baby boy Fred, as a childishly rebellious attempt at a clever reaction to those who might... Hello, and welcome to Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour, episode 9. We're going for an accidentally spooky October episode this time, and joining me in the parlour with some sort of spooky beverage, I guess, maybe, perhaps... I've got a cup of Lady Grey tea, but I don't think it's a ghostly Lady Grey. No, oh, rubbish. It has a, has a hint of bergamot, that's about it. <laughs> rubbish. It's Kia, ladies and gents. Hello. I, I realised I did a terrible thing there and let you talk before I introduced you, which is crap in terms of uh, hostessery, but we all know I'm not very good at it. Oh, shut up. You're fishing for compliments now. <laughs> I'm not. Just, I'll have none of that. Just genuinely don't like doing the introductions. How's it hanging, my good man? It is hanging well. It is hanging well, yes. Good time. I'm, I'm off tomorrow and going to baby classes. Oh. Not classes on how to have a baby, but like rhythm time and swimming and stuff, so that's good. I was just going to ask about that because I thought I'm fairly certain I would have noticed if you'd had a, like, we're pregnant announcement, so... <laughs> well, we, we did have a baby in January, but... Um, well, that would yes. be pretty quick work, to be fair. Yes. <laughs> it's like instant sprog. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Today, I had to go on fire marshal training, oh. and uh, and I got trusted to put out a fake fire, and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done, and I really regret uh, saying that I'd be a fire marshal from my office now, because... Have you got your colours sorted? Uh, well, the stupid thing was, they only let us try out the CO2, which is the one for, like, liquid and electrical fires. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which is fine, except... I discovered after the class that I can't even lift the phone once. <laughs> so I've decided, because I'm entirely feeble, I've decided that if there is a fire, my uh, fire marshal duties will be to get everybody out and, and run off. I think that's probably the safest. Yeah. Thing, I'm not going to pretend We're I know off. what I'm doing with fire extinguishers. I'm just going to be like, look, sod off outside everybody, like this instant. <laughs> Do you get extra money for it? No. Oh. But the thing is, the place that I'm supposed to be the fire marshal for, I'm only at twice a week. Like, two, two out of five days. So if they have a fire on a Monday, Thursday or Friday, they're kind of fucked. <laughs> well, you know, that's just... They should just get a calendar sausage, shouldn't they? Should, really. Anyway, we're talking about things that aren't necessarily spooky or indeed nerdy. Well, fire is scary. Well, actually, yeah, it really was. I nearly shit myself. There you go. I was scared of losing my eyebrows. But anyway, that's another story. I'm going to let you go first with leaping into the land of pop culture. So uh, have at it. Have at it. Well, shall I say what I do first? 
if you want. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do a podcast called Dissecting Worlds with Matt, who's already been on this show, so I shan't plug it too much. It's on the Geek Syndicate Network, where you can also find it at dissectingworlds.wordpress.com, I think. Uh, I also write about role-playing and wargaming and stuff on my own blog, which is clarkythecruel at wordpress.com, and you can find me on Twitter under clarkythecruel. So that's just me. But anyway, pop culture, I've been reading a lot. Good, I like a good read. I've been reading a lot of short stories from, like, Edwardian times and the 1930s. So I like to keep up to date. I was going to say, finger on the pulse there. (laughs) Absolutely. But... The thing is, they're bloody good. I've been introduced to them, coincidentally, or at least two out of the three, by podcasts. So uh, there's a writer called Clark Ashton Smith. Have you heard of H.P. Lovecraft? Of course. (laughs) Of course. Right, Okay. H.P. Lovecraft, uh, lovable old racist, (laughs) wrote his stories for a publication called Weird Tales. There were two other guys who wrote to Weird Tales, one of which is Clark Ashton Smith. He was also a poet, and he's very different from Lovecraft. He lived in the woods. He was a big ladies' man and all this. But uh, there's a podcast called The Double Shadow, and they're working through his short stories and doing a podcast for each one. Mm. And this guy, he wasn't. He just doesn't write horror. He writes all kinds of stuff. He writes more science fictiony stuff, more swords and sorcery stuff. And um, but they're doing it by going through the different worlds he wrote about. So they've just done Avignon, which is like medieval French, but with like werewolves and sorcerers and Satanists and Randy monks and also <laughs> huge towering colossi made up of merged corpses and things. It's good. Anyway, so the guy is an amazing writer. He's not his prose is pretty purple, but I think he's more um readable. The Lovecraft. I was just going to ask uh, about that because, like, as much as I like Lovecraft, sometimes I did find that if I didn't have a thesaurus there, I wouldn't have a fucking clue what he was on about half the time. The Kindle is your friend, especially the diary function. (laughs) So he does have a bit of um, what I've heard termed on on the double shadow as mashed potato language, which I think is brilliant. He does have a bit of that, but but the thing is, because he to be nice he'd lived a lot more than Lovecraft I know Lovecraft travelled and visited his friends and was briefly married and stuff but this guy lived a lot more his stories are a lot more emotionally true mm-hmm. if that makes sense um, and when they're horror they still have good wallops in them and they have good atmosphere but uh, they just feel a little bit more real at least to me so I'd strongly recommend reading him he's just and he's like I say he created these different worlds there was stuff set on like um there's almost science fiction stuff set on Mars, but it's a colonised Mars, and you've got archaeologists uncovering Martian tombs. You've got the medieval French stuff. You've got set, stuff set in the far future where, like, civilization is decaying. You've got stuff set in sort of the Atlantean past. They're just they're cracking. Nice. And they're all available for free on a website called Eldritch, Eldritch Dark. Oh. .com, because the estates have released them. So, you know, free and good is double good. I was going to say, I, uh, I was about to say, I might add that to my Amazon wish list, but maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just get it. <laughs> the only thing with the website is it's been done through um, scanning. Right. So the odd word will be misscanned, but like to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Mm-hmm. You can go out and buy them, but, you know, they are there for free. Well, you might as well get them while they're free, eh? <laughs> 
Well, you might you might as well try it before you buy it. Indeed, indeed. I'm very much an advocate of free things, and I'm starting to try and no, I'm trying to start uh, to read more like actual books as opposed to comics. Because uh, as much as I love comics, I do feel like my attention span since I started reading comics has like dramatically dropped. I think it's you. You do the floppy thing, don't you? Yeah, I do. See, see, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm the problem, but I, I only do trades. But like, I, I, except for 2008, but. You know, I, I find a floppy just... I, I just feel cheated by the time I've read it because you spend four or five pound fifty on whatever it is now. Yeah, I'm like ten minutes reading. Or almost the price of a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. On, on literally ten minutes reading. And if you're a disgusting word-focused person like me, you don't... I don't go through every page sucking up the artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, I tend to race through that and be following the words, so it's even less value for money. So it literally is, done now. And then I might go back and look at the odd nice panel. So, um, yeah, you get more value from a book, especially if it's free, which is the other one that came to from a podcast is uh, Edwardian ghostwriter called N.R. James. Oh. And he's really famous. He inspired Lovecraft and loads of other people. But... um, all his stuff's available free on Gutenberg because it's out of copyright. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm liking and, uh, all these recommendations of free things. And it, it well, the, there's the podcast, which is called The Podcast of the Curious. They're doing the same thing. They're going through the stories in turn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can read and then listen to the podcast and get some appreciation of the background when he was writing it and stuff like that. Oh, cool. But um, they described as ghost stories. They're more like... Sometimes they're demons or are they ghosts or aren't they and stuff, but um, there's, there's some great stuff there. I mean, we've got to the point now where it's the 1920s and he's been doing these. He started these office things he used to do for his mates at Christmas. <laughs> Lovely. So his mates, his mate, well, his mates would come around, they'd have a meal and then over the cigars, he'd tell him, tell him this ghost story and they're, they're written like that. You know, it's kind of like, well, a friend of a friend told me. Mm. And then he does the story. And by the 1920s, he's starting to repeat some of the themes. But, um, no, they're, they're great stuff. Have you heard of Whistle and I'll Come to You? No. That, that's, like, his most famous one, and it was famously done for telly in the 60s or 70s or something. It was done a couple of Christmases ago with John Hurt on BBC4. But, um, no, they're well worth well worth cracking, checking out. There's, it's only, like, three books worth. But, um, free! Well, <laughs> and, a, and, the po- and the podcasts are free too, so that's that's all good. Oh, happy days. So, podcast of the curious, and Mr. James is the other one. And the last thing I'll be reading is Robert E. Howard, who's the guy Conan stories, who is incredibly famous and unfortunately not available for free. Oh, consign it. Um, unless, um, well, unless you're prepared to, you know, infringe copyright, <laughs> but um, which I'm not. But uh, not that there's anything. But yeah, it's down to you, isn't it? But it's um. There's. I'm amazed how much horror there are in the Conan stuff. Really? Because he was writing at the same time as Lovecraft. He was writing at the same time as Clark Ashton Smith. He wrote with Lovecraft, and the main correspondence between him and Clark Ashton Smith, which is lost. But yeah, there's there's quite a lot of horror, and there's quite a lot of um. You know, Lovecraftian motifs like you know strange alien gods or you know, monsters that may be aliens or maybe demons or whatever mm-hmm. in it. I mean, admittedly, most of them are able to be whacked with a sword eventually, <laughs> which is where it might differ from Lovecraft, but, but there's a lot of the same kind of feel and a lot of the same kind of um, 
surprising how much of the same sort of stuff there is, which which has blown me away, really. Though I do find myself, you know, getting on the bus with pamphorish grace, and, uh, <laughs> straining my mighty frues as I take the lid off a pickle jar. <laughs> oh, that sounds brilliant. Maybe I should start reading them and I won't be so feeble at, like, picking up fire extinguishers and stuff. Well, that'll be it, won't it? Well, you're a woman, so you will automatically be life, because all the women are life. He does have some terms he particularly likes. <laughs> OK. <laughs> He said, the keen instincts of a timber wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds brilliant. It's a shame that's not free, though, because that ain't getting read any time soon, then. <laughs> so. I'm sure, well, well, I say it isn't free. I'm sure most libraries will have the odd battered, co- the odd battered copy of Going and Line Around. That is, that is true, that probably. Well, but you've got you've got bad form with libraries, haven't you, I seem to remember? I have, yeah, because I tend to sort of forget that they exist. And then if I do happen to get books from there, I forget to take them back. Yes, yeah, I, I do the latter. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good at books. I could have, could have really bought a book for this, couldn't yeah. I? I, um, I just <laughs> busted out the Kindle again, and I've started reading Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill. Right. And, uh, I know the name. I know the name. He, he is Stephen King's son, and he wrote Lock and Key, the comic series, uh, which is spooky. And yes. Awesome. Yeah. Did he write some like a superhero novel as well, or something, or have I made that? Oh, up? I don't know. I know he wrote. He also wrote a novel called Horns, which is currently That's being made into of. a film, isn't it, with Daniel Radcliffe? Which I'm skeptical yeah. about. But there we go. But Heart Shaped Box is really good so far. It's a, it's like a ghost. It's like this guy getting haunted by the like ghost of the stepdad of somebody who killed herself because of him, and it's all just very sordid. The, the creepiest thing I found about it is that they. Is it all about Jimmy Savile? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not pedo type. No. it's fine no the the ghost in it has like scribbles over his eyes which i find really creepy for some reason but i've got to say it's not the best idea to read uh horror novels on the bus in the dark because then when you get to work and you're the first one there you shoot yourself at every sound in the office (laughs) well the the way i started reading mr james was that um i was listening to the podcast and stuff and it was when um the baby was taking a long time to get to sleep and you know sit in the room with the baby sort of murmuring away till she got off so it was like what can i read on my phone on the kindle app white on black that's a decent length that i can just sort of whiz through and it was that which was great but then i have to confess my sleep was not particularly smooth afterwards yeah i mean i wasn't like terrified but i was waking up tighter in the morning so then it was like i might i might do this on the morning bus actually (laughs) yeah it's um i'm a pretty big chicken so you know october's a bad time of year for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah i wasn't actually going to talk about heart shape box because i haven't finished it i'm sort of halfway well i'm not even halfway through i think i'm a better quarter of the way through and it's already scaring the shit out of me so what i was going to talk about if you're finished talking about you yeah i'm aware i've talked far too <laughs> no don't worry it's fine i've got quite a sore throat coming on so the more you talk the better really <laughs> um i recently read a book called the last werewolf by glenn duncan who is one of my favorite authors he's um i think his most famous book was i lucifer which is about the devil that god offers the devil a chance at redemption and says basically if you can live as a human without sinning for a certain amount of time the length of which i've currently forgotten uh, i'll let you back into heaven and, and then of course he just lets the devil take over the body of like a washed up author <laughs> it sort of goes a little bit crazy out bonkers it's pretty good and but this book is is you know, sensibly enough about a last, the last, the last werewolf. Mm. It's really well written. It's kind of set up like a diary. It, it's it's this last werewolf sort of 
basically tracing his last few days because there's a, a team called, I think it's the World Organization for the Capture of Occult Somethings. I can't, it's, it's WOCOP is the... Um, right. Is the ana- ana- oh, what's the fucking word? Acronym. There you go. I'm having a total brain fart today. They're, like, sort of trying to chase him down to kill him because, obviously, they're, they're for the capture of, like, a cult phenomenon. That's it. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, and I don't want to say too much more about it because it would, like, massively give away a huge, huge plot point. And, frankly, the book is so good that I would rather people just go out and, and have it in their eyes themselves because... So, I mean, that acronym sounds quite, you know, kind of man from uncle but is it... Is it a straight book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a yeah. Yeah, it's completely straight. I mean, it's um, it's actually a little bit um, on the nose, as it were. Like, it's not. It doesn't shy away from the gory bits or the sad bits or. And I, I don't know whether this is a general thing with like the werewolf sort of mythology, but like in this book, werewolves have a pretty damn ridiculous libido. So there's like right. at the. Not so much sex scenes as just like really, really dodgy moments that are a little bit like, oh, crikey. They're not, um, they, I don't think they would put you off unless you were sort of a massive prude. Right. It's not, it's right. not like picking up 50 shades of grey. Like, it's, it's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be like sex scene on every page or anything. It's just occasionally right. it's like uh, the wolf takes over and they have a bit of sort of raw animal sex. Uh, I'm not selling this book, am I? Well, a lot of people are into that kind of thing, so maybe you are. Maybe I am. Well, but, but so it's from the first person, so it's from the wolf's, the werewolf's point of view. It is, yeah. And what I liked yeah. about it is the pacing of it, because I tend to find that a lot of things that are written first person have like really massive chapters, and you just think, if you're sad like me and actually logically think about these things, there's no way you'd have had time to sit and write that all down before you forgot it. Yes. Whereas this is like the the chapters are maybe two pages, three pages long. I think the longest one's only about seven. But that, that was a. That was a, it's a similar thing, but it was a criticism of a lot of Lovecraft stuff, wasn't it? When he writes it, like the person's writing it, and it's things like, oh, the tentacles coming and dragging me away. Yeah, it's, it's like you you wouldn't have written that. Yeah. So. Well, this is this is what I liked about this as well. It being a diary thing, you know when he's talking about stuff happening, that he's, he isn't stopping in the middle of a fight to go, this guy just punched me in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, cool, blimey, I ain't half nursing my right eye after that fight kind of thing. So it's a lot, yeah. it's a lot more sensible about it. But it, it makes it easier to read as well in the sense that if you do read in short bursts on the bus like I do, it, it's very rare that you'll get to your bus stop and not be at a place where you could stop reading. <laughs> yeah. Because um, the bits are so short. So, um... It's really well written as well. I mean, Glenn Duncan's probably a little bit... He's probably a bit infamous for being a little bit overly complicated in his language at times. But I think in this, it works because this werewolf is, like, over 200 years old. So he's going to know, like, so much language and so much vocabulary. Am I even... Is that even good English? I don't think it is. So much vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to have a very broad vocabulary and he's going to have an archaic... Yeah vocabulary and presumably grammar yeah but it is really weird sometimes like because obviously he's sort of grown with the time so he's learning a lot of new vernacular as well that he just like drops the c-bomb shortly after like you know saying that it it is a very old word 
Well, I suppose. <laughs> it's just like, you know, when you just don't expect a werewolf who's, who was talking yeah. about, I don't know, like wooing somebody, which is not something anybody says anymore, and then he just tells somebody else to fuck off out of it or say something <laughs> yeah. so strange. But um, no, it's really good. It's well worth reading if you're into um, that sort of thing. It really surprised me how different it was for him because a lot of Glenn Duncan's books are sort of more about like relationships or like, you know, like real life event type things or that being said i did just talk about i lucifer which is kind of a ludicrous premise but that's really leaving the devil or you can't, if you believe in god being a bit of a shit don't you? <laughs> um but <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of a departure from his normal stuff, but I, I still really enjoyed it, and uh, I would recommend it to... So what was that? Was it I, Wolf, Matt? Uh, or I Were- The Last Werewolf. The Last Werewolf. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I shall have to look it up. It's not it's not free, though, is it? Well, I had it bought for me for my birthday, so for me it was. But... So, so, for you, so if you add it to your Amazon wishlist, it can, it can be free. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> It may even be in a library. It may even. When you were talking about um, uncomfortable sex scenes, Mm -hmm. there's a Clark Ashton Smith story called The Mother of Toads. I will leave it at that. I don't like the sound of those apples. It's well worth reading. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about book-wise? Book-wise... No, I've kind of raced through them. Oh, I read The Exorcist recently. That's bloody good. Is it better than the film? I haven't seen the film. I, I own the film, but I haven't got around to watching it. See, I don't know whether the datedness of that film ruined it for me. Because hmm. it's like, well, well, in this day and age of like C- CGI and stuff, the, the sort of slightly archaic spinning round of the head and like vomit hmm. bright green custard types, it's just not... Uh, <laughs> well, well, well uh, not, not to spoil it, but it's set in the same period as the film was made. Mm-hmm. The physical transformations, occurrences that occur to her, occur to her, but you get a lot, and I've only seen clips of the films, but you get a lot of the mother's point of view. Right. And the mother's on her own. Um, she's divorced. I don't know if that's the case in the film or not. You get a lot of stuff from the priest's point of view. The, the older priest doesn't really feature in it more. It's more the younger guy. And you've also got a policeman. But effectively, and obviously if you've seen the film, this is this bit's ruined. But in the book, it, it's not... People aren't conclusively persuaded that it is supernatural. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the doctors are going through all the medical tests and that's that's sort of drawn out more and there's more of that kind of pathology you've got a detective if there's a murder that happens you've got a detective investigating that murder trying to piece together what happens and stuff like that so it's a bit more of a, a whodunit if you like and it's a bit more I think I suspect there's a bit more suspense than when you can put the film on mm. what you expect and a bit more emotion I don't know if that, that might be terribly unfair I know a lot of people love the film to death but... I just think like I say the datedness of it because I only saw it for the first time about four or five years ago and i mean like there's the scene where the bed is like visibly like really shaking and like not Mm. just like jiggling slightly like it might in an earthquake i mean like lifting up off the ground Mm. and like properly and and doctors in it are trying to say no that was just her having a bit of a seizure and the the mother's going she wasn't moving the fucking bed was and you just you're just staring at these doctors thinking why are you being such pricks and it you start to get a bit annoyed, while well, I did anyway. <laughs> right. So I found I it difficult I, to get on with as a film. I don't know. I, I think the book is more more nuanced than that. And it was, I found it properly scary. Yeah. As a, I mean, it might be because, you know, I might not have had that reaction if I'd read it like 
two years ago, but like I have a daughter now, so maybe I'm, I'm looking forward to the teenage years a bit too much, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and all the fights from that. But it was quite. I did find it really, really scary. Yeah, I might have to read it because I tend to find that a lot of like horror stuff I prefer the books of because my imagination's completely bonkers. Yeah. And, and half the time, what I would imagine is happening is probably a shit ton scarier than what they'd show me in a film. <laughs> well, that's it. When you were, a kid, I mean, you, I, I don't know if you had this because you're that bit younger than me. But when I was a kid, I, uh, my parents didn't have a video until we were like seventeen, eighteen, or sixteen, something like that. They didn't let me stay up to watch inappropriate films. Well, if they did, it was something that was on movie drone and was probably an art house thing, yeah, rather than, you know, staying to watch a horror blockbuster or whatever. So you were in the playground and people were telling you about Freddy Krueger or people were telling you about the, you know, I remember people saying about, like, oh, the, the Terminator when the oil tanker crashes and the spoilers <laughs> and the, um, the, the the robot the cyborg robot body comes out now in my mind there was dripping flesh coming off that yeah <laughs> you know it was it was it, which i'm sure they could have done with the special effects at the time but would they have got a certificate i don't know but you know it was it was a lot worse than what i was being told and even reading accounts of films you know there's a lot of films which are very uncomfortable but kind of you read about famous horrible scenes and something like straw dogs when you actually see the scene um it's bad for kind of other reasons but it's it's not like what you imagine the scene would be mm-hmm. so yeah your imagination just runs wild and sometimes the, the thing you see on cellular it's a bit of a disappointment certainly was when i saw bloody oh, blow witch project oh my god what a crock of shit that film is i really like the last three minutes i really like the last three minutes I really liked the setup. The middle series where I was just getting nausea and trying to stop myself shouting in the cinema, fall over fucking stream, you've walked over eight times, you dickheads. <laughs> um, I, I was maybe losing a bit of patience. Yeah. With all the unlikable characters, I didn't really care what happened to them. I've got to say, yeah, I kind of wanted them all to die. Um, what actually happened at the end, because my friend claims that I haven't seen the full ending, because if I had have done, I would have shit myself. So, like, massive spoilers here, guys. Is the ending the bit where she's in that room and there's a thingy in the corner and that's basically the end? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. She was like, did you not find that the scariest thing ever? I was like, um, no, because it was just someone stood there. <laughs> well, no, but it was... That, that scene was telegraphed, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Part, part of the thing of horror is to set up the idea of the horror coping, isn't it? So people get nervous about anticipating it. Yeah. Which is where the often where the like we were saying when you, you hear about the film or whatever that's where the actual scare comes from what your imagination's doing before you see anything. Mm-hmm. So for me, you've got the stuff about the murders happening in the house earlier on, and when you see that, that means that's going to happen. But then the film cuts off. Obviously, if they'd shown the murders or whatever, it would have effectively blown its load. But that worked for me. Yeah. But. It's just a shame about the however many bloody hours it was. Felt like hours. It's probably only ninety minutes long, but felt like hours just, I spent in the cinema before. Just and looking at tweaks and <laughs> just getting, bad handicapped about any of these people. They were all massive bellends. You saying that though? I went to see Sinister the other week uh, in the cinema with my mum because mm-hmm. weirdly enough, right? It's my mum's fiftieth birthday. I ask her what she wants to do. I say to her, 
I'll pay for it. We can do anything you want. She goes, should we go to the cinema? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> way to live it up, Mum. <laughs> and you're thinking, thank God she didn't ask for the holiday in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she would have been going on her own. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we went to see Sinister because it was the only thing that she wanted to see that she hadn't already seen. It just goes to show my mum's taste in films. Loop is on, but we'll go and see Sinister instead. That's fine. <laughs> so we went to see Sinister, and that is a f- I'm going to spoil the shit out of this because it's so awful. I don't want any of you to ever go and see it. And it is a shame because for the most part of the film, it was very good in terms of setting up suspense. So there were a lot of times when I was genuinely, like, absolutely terrified, thinking, what the hell is going to happen next? But, like, the basic premise is there's this guy called Ellison who has got a wife and uh, a little boy and a little girl. And he's a true crime writer. So basically what he yeah. does is he goes and moves into houses that are either very close to or part of crime scenes that were never, like the cases were never closed. And he will do some digging and try and write, try and find out the truth and write a novel about it, basically. Does he, does he get a lot of Christmas cards from a state <laughs> I would imagine so. So at the start of this film, he moves into the scene of a crime where a family of five... Uh, four of them get hung from a tree in the back garden and then one of them, one of the children, goes missing like that they're never found. So he starts investigating this and he starts poking about and uh, and he discovers this box of like Super 8 films in the loft. So he starts watching them mm-hmm. and th- th- basically they show loads of different crimes uh, in different houses but of similar set up so although the people don't die in the same way it's always a family with children and one of the children always is missing at the end they're never there um and so the setup starts to get pretty creepy um some of the films so he's potentially got like the story of the century yeah basically um not not to mention being in contempt of court for not having them over straight oh it's ridiculous somehow he manages to get uh one of the local policemen to sort of work with him without sharing his knowledge with the rest of the force and they find out that all of these people have at one time or another lived in one of the same houses right um so of course ellison starts to shit himself like fuck i am now living in one of the houses no it's it's a good setup. i'm shitting myself just sat here in the kitchen (laughs) um so it starts to like take a turn for the he starts really investigating it and he notices that in every video uh, or in most of the videos, at least, there's this weird symbol. And he looks into it, and it turns out it's an occult symbol that is... It's representative of a demon, which is after children. And what it does is mm. it sort of takes over one of the children, gets them to kill their family, and then that brings them over to his sort of dimension, as it were. Yeah. And he sort of keeps their souls forever. Which is a, a pretty... It's a fairly creepy setup Until you realise yeah. that said... Well, it, the demon's called Bagul, and the kids refer to him as Mr. Boogie. But he looks kind of like... Have you ever seen Michael Jackson's Ghosts video? I'm not a great fan of the work of Michael Jackson. No, so. well, see, right, I used to like him. 
but he released like I think he was trying to reclaim his thriller fame and he released a 40 minute music video called Ghosts hmm. which is about this group of uh, people who basically turn up at Michael Jackson's mansion and try and force him out of the town because they think he's a scary creepy weirdo um Fair point, well, mate. Yeah, and in this, he tries to like scare. He tries to show them that although he's a bit scary and he's a bit weird, he's actually quite fun and he doesn't mean to hurt anyone. But there's a bit in that where he he pulls his face into weird like into this weird sort of scary masky looking thing to scare the shit out mm. of some of the parents. But Ghoul looks exactly like that, and of course, right. as soon as I realised that. I could not stop laughing at the idea of a child stealing demon that looks a bit like a Michael Jackson face. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if they did that on purpose or whether it's just that my mind went there, but of course then it just became utterly unterrifying. I suppose makes it sound like a bit mean that I'm having a go at the film and saying that nobody should go and see it. But I should also point out that by the end of the film, I actually really wanted Ellison to die because all I could think was... You drag your family around and expose them to absolutely horrific situations to write some books that nobody even reads. And you have a go at your wife because she catches you essentially watching basically snuff, snuff films, yeah? You know, it's just, it's... Uh, by the end of it, I was like, okay, if this guy doesn't die, I'm going to be really miffed. <laughs> and it's just... Well, this, this is a common thing with stories, isn't it? You've got to have, a, you've got to have somebody that you... Yeah. Plus, it's like I say, I mean, like, I, if you don't root for them, you know, at least admire or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just had, I thought he treated his family like shit, particularly his little girl. So I was like, I really hope she kills him for a start. <laughs> and it just got, it just got to the point where it was so ridiculous that this, you know, like the the policeman was helping him, despite all this evidence to suggest, like, you know, terrible, terrible. Cr- I mean, one of the one of the films he watches, like this kid ties her family up in the garden and then lets a lawnmower loose on the lot of them. So they're like quite horrific crimes. That... Yeah, but that's almost cartoony, isn't it? In, yeah. in description. I mean, I'm sure it was, it could be mid-done, so it's horrible to watch. Oh, it was terrifying to watch because basically what it was is they put the camera on the lawnmower and sort of let yeah. it go. So all you could see was like the grass immediately in front of it because it was at night time as well. And then all of mm. a sudden there'd just be a face and then there'd be blood. And it was like yeah. shitty now. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah, which is which is a good way to do it. Mm. But you know, it can it could all you could also see that being done quite comedically. Yeah. You know, kind of splattergory, like a you know a Sam Raimi film. Yeah, but it was just like by the end of it, I the whole thing just seemed really ludicrous. And it is a shame because there were some good scares along the way, but the end just totally failed to do anything sensible. <laughs> yeah. You see, it would have, yeah, it's 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 just the way that's set. I mean, if if the, if the I mean, that's the thing with monster reveals, isn't it? Yeah. And it's what I mean. It's what what like I'm not a great fan of the original Alien, but the thing that you always hear is people say is you don't really see the Alien. Yeah. Like all the work that went into it, because when you see the Alien, you do go, "That's an extremely tall fella in a suit." Yeah. <laughs> And aliens takes a totally, di- you know, takes a t- doesn't try and redo that. Takes a totally different turn with it, and maybe that's where some of the later films went wrong because they couldn't really do anything. You've done the sort of haunted house motif. You've done the war movie. What else do you do? Yeah. 
unless you focus on your human characters, but nobody seems very interested in writing that. So, you know, if, if your monster is unconvincing or has an unfortunate parallel... <laughs> with, with the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a... uh, anybody working on a horror movie with a shell-suited blonde just forget it now. Just forget it. Just put it down, back away. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the annoying thing about it was as well that it ended, that it was quite clearly telegraphing a sequel. Like, if it, if it, I assume oh. if it does well. Which I can't understand, because now that you know what the demon is and how it does what it does, where's the suspense anymore? Yeah, well, this, but the thing is, I, I mean, do you watch, do, have you watched or enjoyed torture porn films? I haven't. Like, by, by, by which I mean Saw I've and seen uh, the, Hostel and stuff. I've seen the first Saw and I saw the last half of um, Hostel. Hmm. I'm, um, I'm not a big fan. Like, I, I liked the first Saw because I thought it was pretty, pretty clever. But from what I've seen of the the following ons, because I've never I've not seen any of the others in full, but I've seen bits because my sister really likes them. Mm. From all the other bits I've seen, it's just an excuse to think up the worst ways you could possibly hurt somebody yeah. and stick it in a film, and I don't. I, and that's um, that's not clever or interesting to me. Well, this this is it. I mean, it, I mean, I'm talking from a complete position of ignorance, but when's that ever stopped me before? <laughs> um, but it's just there's not. It'll make me feel uncomfortable, but like watching a very dodgy horror film, those dodgy horror films Andy Warhol made in the sixties made me feel uncomfortable because they were shit. <laughs> but doesn't it doesn't it it, it it there's no cathartic, there's no suspense, there's no yeah nothing to get invested in. So I'd much rather watch an older film with less uh, visceral special effects or laughably visible visible special effects, but that actually that bothers to have characters I might be interested in. Yeah, I agree, because I think when I go to a cinema and, like, if I go to a film to, to be frightened, like, if I want to go to see a horror or a thriller, I want to see... I I find things scarier when they're sort of left to the imagination and you don't quite know what's happening and you make things up in your own head and you shit yourself. I don't like mm. it when it's like, this is the thing that's killing people, look at its face, and this is how it's doing it. Ooh, isn't it frightening? It's like, well, no. Now I'm just watching a guy bleed to death, and it's just weird. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not fun to watch. But I tell you what, film I did watch that was really fucking good was um, mm-hmm. Cabin in the Woods. Yes. No, I haven't seen it. I Obviously, I intend to watch it at some point. Yeah. God knows when. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I won't spoil it because it's massively different to what I was expecting. Somebody did partially spoil a bit of it for me before I saw it, but then I blamed mm-hmm. myself because I didn't go and see it immediately when it came out because it looked really good and I don't know why I didn't go. <laughs> um, nice. But I was expecting a sort of, you know, teen slasher horror in a cabin in the woods kind of thing. It is yeah. not even a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's That's a, what I've heard. Yeah, there's a cabin in it, and yeah, they're in the woods, but fuck me, is it ridiculously brilliant. The whole concept of it is amazing. It's, the ending is... Oh, man, I I'm not going to say anymore because I will totally ruin it. Like, the, the only... Oh, see, I can't even... The only thing that I didn't like about it is there were a couple of bits... I, I would assume that, knowing me, you know that I'm such a stickler with CGI, it's ludicrous... There are right, there yeah. are a couple of bits of shoddy CGI that kind of made me like threw me out of it a bit like what, what the fuck was that? But aside from that, I'd say it was basically perfect. Plus, it's got the guy who plays Thor in it, and he's fit, so that's nice. 
Yes, yes, I understand what he is from the drooling that occurred when we saw four in the Avengers. <laughs> oh, he's so beautiful. I didn't even realise yes. he was in it as well, so it was like a beauty surprise. I think there was one moment we went to see Avengers at a mother and baby showing. And uh, there was quite a few dads there, surprisingly. Um, but but there was one scene in the helicopter where Nick just leant over and went, "I'd like to be in that room." <laughs> just, just you've just got Chris, you know, um, Henshaw and Evans and all that just rippling. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't have minded being on the set of that film. I've got to say, yeah. it's like a, a whole lot of totty in one room. <laughs> I know. You've got Scarlett Johansson as one for the dads. Indeed, but, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So many other things are the other way around now, aren't they? So it's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Cabin in the Woods is definitely worth checking out if you like uh, Joss Whedon, who is brilliant, and why wouldn't you? So. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much like Joss Whedon. Well, actually, yeah, I, he, I would... He, he, can, he can come across a bit pretentious on the odd commentary. Yeah. But yeah. I'm sure we all would, but yeah. No, I thought it was uh, it was it's really innovative, which is something that surprises me in films. I know that I, I know that it shouldn't because it's not like all ideas have been done, but I do tend to find that when I go to the cinema, there's very little that I'm surprised by anymore, and mm. that I find as you know massively original. So like to watch this and to be just genuinely like it turned on its head, I was mm. like oh, bloody hell! <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Go and watch it. Not right now okay. because you're listening to this podcast, but and it'll make me yeah. sad if you turn it off. But yeah, eventually well, they could watch it, but they'd have to have the sound. <laughs> yeah, that would ruin it somewhat, I think. But uh, have you got any more things what you would like to talk about, my friend? Because um... I've got a few still. <laughs> I know, but that's fine. Comics. We mentioned Lovecraft earlier. I'm going to have to look it up because I've forgotten the name of the company and that's ridiculous because I like so much what they do. I should know it off by heart, but I don't because I am a div. Uh, I love uh, Thank you very much. It is very apt. Right, well, first thing is to say, Ian Colbard is brilliant. Ian Colbard, the artist and writer, who's currently drawing a strip called Brass Sun, I believe, in 2000 AD. But he's uh, he's a big Lovecraft fan, and he's done two versions of Lovecraft novels. He's done The Strange Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Are you familiar with that story? I'm not. Okay, uh, with the... Sp- Spoiler-free version is it's to do with the changes that occur a young man when he starts researching his wizardly ancestry. Right. Uh, so it's set like the time Lovecraft wrote, so like twenties, thirty. That's brilliant. And Mount at the Mountains of Madness. Have you heard that one? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more science fictiony and to do with like primeval alien involvement with humanity. So you can kind of watch it in the same blink as I don't know, maybe Prometheus or uh, from what I've heard or uh, The Thing and stuff like that. But again, it's set in the 20s and 30s, so he converted both of those, which are brilliant. But it's Self Made Heroes, the name of the company. They've also done two H.P. Lovecraft anthologies, which are also really good, mm-hmm. uh, involving a very wide range of talents um, involved in both the writing and the drawing of. And um, like we said before, you know, these these, these guys really right in this period, sometimes their, their language is thick, and, and difficult to get through. Um, um, the vocabulary can cause a problem if you're not reading it on a Kindle with a handy diary function, a dictionary function. Diary function might be handy as well, but not for the language. 
Uh, so seeing it in comic form allows them to really strip out that. And, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, sometimes literally in the case mm-hmm. of Lovecraft. So they're really, 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 really worth checking out. And if you go to Fort Bubble, they're sometimes doing them on a deal. Oh, cool. They certainly were the last two Fort Bubbles. I'll have to tell Rich because he's a bigger Lovecrafty fan than I am. Yeah, they're, they're smashing. But the, t- the two novella conversions, particularly by I.N.J. Colbard, are great. And he does the he does the, the Dunwich Horror. Oh, in okay. The first Lovecraft anthology. Yeah, so it's absolutely absolutely smashing stuff. Sweet. Go buy it. Go buy it now. It's not for free though. No. <laughs> oh, I like things when they're free. Oh well. So that's that's meant to be comics. Okay. Well, I read uh, a trade paperback. This was a couple of weeks ago, actually, so this review will probably be really short because uh, my memory is shit. I've heard, heard rumours to that effect. <laughs> yeah, it's. Really I can't bad. remember where I heard them. <laughs> It's a book called Baltimore, The Plague Ships, which is um, the stories by Mike Mignola and Chris Golden. And it's apparently set after a novella, but I haven't read the novella and it didn't really make a fat lot of difference. So I don't suppose you desperately need to because I thought it was fine. The art is by Ben Stenbeck and it is it is about a vampire hunter type chappy it's sort of set like obviously being called the plague ships it's set sort of in the later stages of the plague but it's it's almost got a sort of um steampunky twist to it it's mm. it's very good it's all it there's just so many sort of creatures there's there's zombies there's weird giant jellyfish thingies there's like sort of steampunky cyborgian zombie mecha suit things that it's very very good but sadly enough it was only i didn't realize that this was book one of like a fair few books <laughs> so uh i'm blatantly gonna have to get the rest now because it well, was that, brilliant that was, that was totally different to what i was expecting because really you may or may not know i'm a big fan of the wire yeah certainly anybody's listened to the first few seasons of um Dissecting Worlds, Will. So um, when you mentioned Baltimore and then you mentioned plague ships, I was thinking it would be something like a, about the slave trade. And when you mentioned Mike Migola, I thought, that's a bit of a departure. <laughs> but, but it's not. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but it's not. It's not at all. No, it is, it's, a, it's a very good sort of creature horror story. It's just, oh, yeah. It's... Is it kind of a departure from Hellboy or is it very much in that vein? Or... Um, it's, if, if, if I was going to sort of put it next to anything sort of in that vein, I would say it's probably a bit more Lobster Johnson-y. Right, yeah. Um, In the sense that it's a bit more... I mean, it's very much about the, uh, like, sort of supernatural and the occult and that sort of thing, but it's a bit less... You know how Hellboy can be very sort of based in, like, the whole you know like the Yggdrasil and the tree of life and the witches and the, that sort of thing mm-hmm. whereas this is a little bit more like a, a vampire hunter on a bit of a personal vendetta chasing a vampire across plague written so it's a bit more of a, a personal story for yeah something that's sort of bogged down in in myths the and universe d- yeah, yeah yeah mind you it's book one isn't it like yeah. book seven it might be like... well exactly i mean i don't i haven't got a clue where it's going but i'm along for the ride i think it had me by i think it was about the third or fourth page in, uh, it's there's just a panel on that page. I won't ruin it because if you're not going to go out and buy this and read it now, then you're a bit dense. But um, th- that panel just was like, no, that's it. I'm I'm set. I'm with this book all the way. <laughs> it's very very good. Cool. So it's Mike Mangola. Does Mike Mangola write it as well as draw it? Yeah, it's um, 
well, uh, Ben Stenbeck, I think, did the did the drawing, but it is very much in a oh. Mignola style, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so it's that kind of use of light and dark. Yeah, it's very shadowy and yeah. yeah, and quite angular in its look as well. Mm. But it is, yeah, it's really good. And the, the design of things, are, oh, it's just amazing. Like the the sort of the ships and the, I mean, there's there's these sort of weird zombies that are like almost made out of fungus. It's just, <laughs> it's entirely creepy. And very very exciting. So I'm I'm totally on board with that one. I think I'll be getting that for a while. It does sound interesting. I'm a bit dubious about play about steampunk, which I won't go into here because I'm going to have a extensive rant on it at some point in the future. <laughs> well, because we're doing steampunk in a future episode of Dissecting Worlds, but I am I am a bit of a I've got issues with steampunk, mm-hmm. but. I think when it's it's fantasy with a steampunk feel, like say um, China Melville's stuff, yeah. Baz Lang's stuff is like that. It's 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 yeah. There's there's um, rivets and bolts and the steam powers, but it's not like trying to be an idealized version of the Victorian era. It is a different world with its own problems and stuff. That's not such a big issue. Yeah. I'm looking at a panel of this now, and it does look fantastic. <laughs> It is very good. It is very good. I know you said Mingola, but that, some of that line work reminds me a bit of Joe Colquhoun, who um, did Johnny Red and also did um, Charlie's War in 2000 AD. Oh, right, okay. A little, little less now, I've blown it up, but it gave me a little feeling about Yeah. Right, yeah. All right, based on the visuals, I will be checking that out. Do it. Also, because I'm seeing vaguely German lobster-like diving suits things <laughs> yeah it's um right, all right yeah that's getting checked out yay <laughs> i feel like i've done my job now <laughs> yeah sold <laughs> sweet um, you should have mentioned the prussian diving suit beings anyway yes well i uh i'll kind of i that that's where the steampunky sort of designs came into it for me i, I think they have a bit of a not just oh, yeah. just a hint of it about them, and that's that's what I liked about it. Is like you say, it wasn't just like let's attach cogs to everything and call it steampunk. It was, yeah. it was like just a sort of vague hint of it, which um, because mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of of steampunk stuff really. So <laughs> I was just yeah, it's it's very good. I would definitely recommend it to. I mean, if you like um Hellboy and the BPRD stuff and that, you'll. Probably- I do. I just can't keep up with it all. I mean, this is this is a terrible thing. I'm, I'm not poor by any stretch of the imagination, but I only kind of have so much pocket money. Yeah. And so much time. And because I have so many interests, it, it, it's really a case of picking and choosing mm-hmm. what I spend money on. So when you get... Like, I bought the first Wider You last man. It was good. But it wasn't good enough for me to keep on getting it. I only got five volumes into The Walking Dead. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it's pretty good. But I'm not sure I want to spend this amount of money in issue to be vaguely depressed. I think that, that that's the problem with The Walking Dead. Yeah. I was actually going to talk a bit about that since the um, Series 3 just started. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of the comic, I do think that, that the problem with that is that it relies very heavily on not a fat lot happening until the last couple of panels. Yeah. Um. So you'll get stuff like people moping around and being a bit sad that such and such is dead or that they can't, you know, walk down the shop and go in and get a Chinese from the takeaway anymore. And you know, you know what used to do an awful lot of that as well. What's that? Old school Who in the Pertwee era, where they used to have six stories to an episode. Really. 
so you used to have obviously not like oh there's so many zombies but you used to have a couple of episodes in the middle which were treading water yeah yeah I do, I do think that the Walking Dead's pacing is I think the problem with it for me is that when you first get into it it's kind of a refreshing change in that not many other comics do it and it's nice to see the sort of zombie apocalypse from a survival point of view as opposed to just mm-hmm. let's blow off zombies faces with whatever we can find but yeah. but then you get to issue 100 or 101 or whatever we're up to and it's kind of like it would be nice if stuff started happening a bit more frequently please well, this is it isn't it a similar problem was have you seen like the original survivors the bbc show no like, the original survivors bbc show which um they remade it two series in the 2000s but the original series of that was like loads of people got this plague and died and there was a fraction of people left and it was how they were going to survive and Terry Nation who invented the Daleks was involved in it and it was lots of running around and sort of gunfights and finding places to stay and stuff but he got he walked or was booted off by the second season and the guy who was involved in it was really into all your good life self-sufficiency stuff mm-hmm. And the second season, the joke is the second season's all about the drainage in the lower field and how do you organise crop rotation. Right. Right, because it, but it is about them actually. They've, they've found a farm. They're trying to settle this farm. They, You know, there's um there's a rape murder. One of the best episodes of rape murder occurs after a party. Cripes. And it's like, how do they... And it's obviously someone... There's no travellers or anything. It's obviously someone from within their community. And it's like, well, do do we have the death penalty? Have, are we comfortable with that? You know? Mm-hmm. The guy they think that's done it has got learning difficulties. And, the, you know, it's, it's all about how you actually deal with that surviving. And then the third series, like, somebody obviously decided it needed more running around and stuff, and it kind of lost its way. But... but the, there's some really interesting stories to tell there, and and they would fit just as well into that zombie apocalypse yeah. setting. But and this isn't to dismiss guys who've made a much more successful career of writing and drawing than I ever would. Um, but it's a harder job to do. Yeah, I think it's it must be especially if people are still lapping up what you've been doing. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to get the pacing right with a comic like that because you don't. You don't want to lose the sort of almost everyday issues element of it because that's what makes it different from your average zombie book. Mm. But at the same time, you can't just every week have nothing happen and then the last panel be cliffhanger. Like, that's just not a readable... It's just boring after a while. Yeah, and I'm sure a load of people would walk off if you were having, oh, we've got a herd of cows, great, we've managed to protect them, blah, 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 blah. Oh, they've got foot and mouth or whatever it was. Yeah. So how you pace that and how you do that, like I say, I'm not a writer, but it's 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 a way to advance the story because presumably what they're going to do when like eventually, the, you know, the plug is pulled, they're just going to say and zombies eat everyone. The end. Uh, uh, do you know I've wondered about that because they haven't in the comics at least they haven't done any exploration into the why and the how of the zombies. Mm-hmm. So there's little to nothing to fall back on in that sense. Uh, in like, so you know, people getting rescued and cured or whatever. Mm. So the only other real option is for them all to die, isn't it? Because well, you... unless they, unless the zombies die out. 
Well, I suppose. Because presumably they don't have a lot of food stuff left. Yeah. They should do like a World War Z and just all go up north where all the zombies will uh, freeze to death. <laughs> Free- I, I enjoyed World War Z. Oh, it's really good, isn't it? I enjoyed it. Um, I liked it. I liked I liked. I liked, I liked I, I'm going to like anything that involves a regiment of Sikhs forming a square. but. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or you know, somebody being teary-eyed about the death of the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> I did, my favourite part of that book was the guy in the space station who just got to watch the Earth go to shit for a little while. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. balls. It's <laughs> looking down from above. But going back to The Walking Dead, I understand that you dropped the TV series sort of partway through series two. Well, by partway through, I managed to catch the third episode and then went, uh... Yeah. <sighs> See, I think that the, the but again, it, it, it's your time of life, wasn't it? It was. It was pacing again. The issue with that was because Rich enjoys The Walking Dead to a certain extent, in that all the bits that are exciting are very, very, very exciting and very, very mm. good. But all the bits that aren't are like basically snoozeworthy. So does he just watch it on fast forward? Well, Rich would just sort of get the highlights from me afterwards, and if there was a particular scene that I thought it was worth seeing, he'd watch again later. But series three uh, started this week, and I watched episode mm-hmm. one, and uh, and I've got to say that I think they really hit the nail on the head with this one because series two's problem was that up until the last like, sort of two episodes, it was basically just them on a farm going, what should we do now? What shall we do? You want to source out the drainage in the lower field. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a there was a bit in um in one of the episodes where they had to sort of drag a zombie uh, out of their water supply. <laughs> uh, didn't work, uh, you know. And it was all a bit sort of slow pace. I mean, they they were sort of on the stuck there on the proviso that they were looking for this little girl who'd gone missing, but it was still very drawn out, and there was absolutely no need for it to be as many episodes as it was. Mm. Series 3 started, and I am going to spoil this, guys, so if you haven't watched it yet, like just close your ears for a little bit. It just comes out, basically, they've found the prison, they are clearing the prison out, they are fannying about in the prison. There's just a lot of zombies, there's a lot of shooting, there's a lot of very exciting bits. The ending was pretty fantastic, and uh, and it was just like, it was the perfect combination between you know, attacking zombies in the face with whatever you've got to hand and, you know, sorting out problems like, you know, where's Laurie going to sleep because she's pregnant and, you know, the the general mm. sort of stuff. It was uh, it was re- it was really good. But you know really what? Good. But you wouldn't need to have watched Series 2 to start 3 again. Like, you could well, easily to... watch it now and know exactly what was going on. Well, at the risk of pissing on your chips, yeah. that sounds very expensive. It so I wonder how many episodes of going around in circles you'll have after that. It's very or maybe possible. not immediately, but, you know, mid-season. Yeah, it is very possible because I wonder whether that's what happened last series in the sense that they knew that they were going to have, like, a, okay, this is spoiling the end of series two now, but they knew they were going to have a zombie horde at the end. And so there was going to be, A, a lot of extras, B, a lot of makeup. C, a lot of people getting shot in the face. So a lot. Of- guns, guns are expensive. Even, yeah. even cartridges, blank cartridges are expensive. Yeah. So I, I wonder whether they did sort of drag out that earlier plot because I would have preferred for them to get to the prison a lot sooner than this. Mm. Because the prison is the sort of that's the peak of The Walking Dead for me in terms of mm. comics, like. Basically, everything that happens in and around the prison is a very, very good batch of story. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it would. I would have liked them to get here a bit earlier, but now that they're here, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> and, but the, uh, the thing, the thing it does in the comic, isn't it? It gives them time to turn. It gives them some space to turn on each other. Yes. Yeah. Which you know, it, it, ultimately, human drama is that bit more interesting than zombie drama. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but it's like you say. There's only so many times you can sort of see somebody hit a zombie in the face with a stick, and then you know. I mean, it's still quite exciting, but. <laughs> Yeah, but, it, but, but a, a lot of shows do that, spend their load, because, like, I mean, Doctor Who builds it in, don't they? They have the Doctor Light episode. Yeah. Or they have, you know, they have the Earth-based episodes to spread the all the contemporary Earth-based episodes to spread the money out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of American shows just seem to be too long for the amount of story they've got to tell. I mean, I was talking with uh, Tracy Sinclair, who... Um, it's a little last one on Twitter. He's a fan of Sons of Anarchy. We both like Sons of Anarchy, but we both will say this episode of Sons of Anarchy where they just act like idiots and go around in circles, you know, yeah. almost soap-like, keeping the lies from each other or whatever, just because, you know, they've got 22 bloody episodes to fill. Yeah, it is a lot of episodes. And, um, <laughs> you know, but even stuff like I love Broadwalk Empire, I love the atmosphere of it. Um, Boardwalk Empire, love the atmosphere of it, but there seems to be only about six episodes worth of plot for the 12 episodes they make. <laughs> so you get everything shot very artily and stuff, which is, you know, great for me, but it, that story is losing out on a big audience mm. because they've got a set amount of episodes, a set amount of story in there, sort of taking their time with it. <laughs> And then you get British shows and you have to squeeze everything into six episodes. But see, that's what I always found funny about being human is that when it got the extra couple of episodes in, I can't remember the series two or three, they, did they, they completely wasted them on like, oh, here's something that's completely irrelevant. It's like, what are you doing? Oh. Here's an episode that says, check out our website. <laughs> that was... Oh. Awful. But anyway, um, the other thing about Walking Dead I was going to mention was that I don't know how you pronounce her name and I don't know if anybody can correct me on this, but I'm going to go with Michonne. Michonne? Don't know. All right, okay, I'll go with you because I'm out of date. Well, it's spelled M-I-C-H-O-N-N-E. Michonne? Don't know. I'm not a great one for pronunciation. No, me neither. I'm like, oh, Michelle, I'll do. (laughs) It's not even close. I have no time for your human language. <laughs> she um she makes her first appearance in the uh TV show, and I assume that they did it on purpose that they released a special comic that was just about her as well. And I was quite excited about this because when she appears in the comics, she is uh she wields katanas and she's got two yes. two zombies dragging behind her with like their jaws hacked off and their arms hacked off so they can't mm. attack her. And she's just strolling about in the middle of this like horde of zombies with these, basically I, I assume their scent is sort of protecting her or masking her scent to yeah. the other zombies. And she's just strolling around like an utter badass. So I thought, oh, it'd be interesting to see where she comes from. In this special, there is, I think, about four pages, five pages of new content that tell you basically zero about how Michonne got from her normal life to, you know, her zombie apocalypse self. Right. Um, I mean, basically, all it says is that uh, she got home from work one day and zombies were attacking her house. So she broke into a neighbour's house, 
nicked some swords from there because apparently a kid who lived there collected them or something and started mm. hacking the shit out of things. So there's like no reason why she's as good with swords as she is. There's no yeah. there's no reason for it to be because she she gets home and she's wearing like a pencil skirt and a and a jacket. So you assume she's got some sort of office based job or. She might have done a kendo class. <laughs> Maybe, but it just and then the rest of the book is just the same bit of comic where she originally came into the the comics. So it's a complete right. waste of time and money. Which well, is... it's it's presumably not a waste of her time if they get your money. True, true. It was a waste of my time quite massively. <laughs> so I've read this before. But, you know, that is my own fault because Rich did say to me almost as soon as I opened it, don't bother reading that, it's all stuff you've read before. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it's cool, I want to read it. And then uh, no. should have listened to Shocks. Twat. Swap my own twat. Who's the twat? The person who legitimately expects somebody's going to produce a piece of original content or the people who do not? True. I've, um, I'm starting to run out of steam now, so I'm just going to plow on to the last thing that I was going to talk about. Okay. Uh, which... Oh, I should talk about another comic. Oh, go on. Very briefly, if it's all right with yeah, you. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, I was going to talk, if it's all right with you, uh, very briefly about American Vampire. Oh, ooh, I've not long started reading that. Right, well, I've, I've read the first two trades and being a trade monkey, it'll be a while before I get the third because I'll wait for the softback. Um, well, what did you think of it? Well, I've only read the first trade and uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I'm not, I, I can't quite put my finger on why. <laughs> um, because I don't necessarily think that um, the characters are like, I don't know, they don't, in the first trade, they're not, particularly likeable any of them and no. there's not i suppose it's it's a sign of a good writer though that they um that you get sort of stuck into it and you want to know what happens to them irregardless of whether you like them or not <laughs> yeah i think it's just interesting how it sort of plays around with the whole evolutionary thing isn't it yeah because because for those who haven't read it the short version is uh, it's called american vampire because it does feature a or one or more american vampires in the first trade in a period between sort of the Wild West and um, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And this, the American vampire is an evolution on the previous European vampires. And this kind of bit of into there's human relationships, there's this bit of vampire politics there and stuff like that. The, I think the art's great, isn't it? Oh, the art's wonderful. I mean, I did have a bugbear with the art in the second trade, but the the art's really different. I felt very European. I mean, I know he's got a Spanish name, but I don't know the first thing about him. And, like, quite elastic as well when it comes to when they turn into the vampires. Oh, it's creepy as sin, that is. Yeah. It's um, I'm very visceral. Very, very, there's a, not, not to the point of Kirby, but there's, there's a lot of energy, isn't there, when you get action in it. But, yeah, I, I just found... Uh, tremendous stuff and and there's a relationship which kind of builds in the first trade but when you get to the second there's a lot more of that relationship and that relationship seems a lot more real Mm -hmm. Um, but the setting of the second trade not to spoil it too much but it's set around Nevada when they were building the big dams and you know like gambling and prostitution are illegal in Nevada despite it being full of Mormons Mm-hmm. Um, Las Vegas and all that that all came about because they had to do something with all these guys who were working on the dams the Boulder and the Hoover dams but the, you know if they didn't find things for them to do like gamble and whore they were just going to crash the town every week. <laughs> oh, 
but obviously that might present business opportunities to uh, morally flexible undead. <laughs> True. So that, that all feeds into it. But yeah, it's looking forward. The third one's World War Two, isn't it? So I'm looking forward to that as well. Oh, exciting! I am. Um, I got the trade for Christmas last year, the first trade, and I've had the other ones on my wish list since then, but nobody has bought them for me yet. <laughs> so there they shall remain for a while. <laughs> Well, you never know. They might, you might, like, you might find them cheaper for bubble man. True. Oh, I'm going to be so skinned probably not. Thought bubble. Pro- probably not because it is like super popular. So yeah, that reduces your chances of getting it on the cheap. Like, but mm. hope springs eternal. Indeed. Or wait eighty, hundred years, whatever, till they're dead, and then maybe you'll get it free. No, you won't, will you? Because it belongs to a company. You buggered. <laughs> oh. Damn. And there was me thinking I could wait that long as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you're young, aren't you? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> or if you made it, oh, no, that wouldn't work because then they'd stop producing it. No. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm up for murder either. No. No, no. I, don't, I don't think I could do that. It, it is a little extreme. Oh, speaking of murder, do you watch Dexter? No. Oh, you should. No, I've seen one episode. I thought it was camp rubbish. Really? Where? Yeah. I might have, I might have watched a bad episode. Oh, possibly. But people had gone on and on and on about it. It was probably a few series in, but we went, all right, we'll tape it, put it on. And um, it was in the vain quest to find things that both me and Mrs. Kale watch, and, um, which is a vain quest. But uh, no, both of us were suspicious. Oh, I wonder which. So, I'd be really intrigued to find out which episode it was you watch now, because I think there was like one series, and I can't remember whether it was three or four. I think it might have been three. That was a little bit not shit, but shit in terms of Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the newer series of that just started as well, and I'm loving it so much. It's so I know uh, it 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 really does have a very very passionate fan base, and not yeah. just geeks. Like there's there's colleagues and I that watch it, and they're really they're not big SF fans or whatever, but they're, like, really, really into it. And I know people love the books, so where the books go in a different direction and stuff like that, but, but I'm a contrary little bastard anyway. <laughs> I think the thing that I like about it is that you would expect that the story every season would be the same, which is, you know, because he works for the police, uh, mm. him trying to avoid getting caught. <laughs> so <laughs> you would think it would get just really boring after a while. But, um... I think they do really well to sort of keep that as a, as a constant theme because obviously he doesn't want to get caught by his colleagues sure. because he would get pretty massively arrested. But there are other things going on that make it interesting. Mm-hmm. I really like it. And I know so many people do, but not, maybe I should go back and give it another chance. But the other thing is I have so comparatively little time that um, I can borrow Donkey Games from my dad on DVD. Oh, yeah. Have I got around to watching it? How I hell is oh, like? That's really good and all. Isn't it? I've got I've got to talk about it in about a week, so I don't know when I'm going to get time to watch it. But then, um, <laughs> I feel bad now for taking up all your time. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, Thursday night is uh, geek night, so it's fine. But uh, yeah, I just can't find time. But it's my own fault because I do because I because I don't just read comics or I don't just watch telly. You know, I run a podcast, a war game, a role play. I follow cricket. That's that's a good use of your time. Following a sport would take five days to play. Um, <laughs> so so you know these these all amount up and it's a balancing act. 
Crikey. And sometimes I wonder how I find time to do anything. I don't I don't support half the things that you do. <laughs> and I haven't got a kid either. Yeah, but you have a comic subscription, don't you? Sure. Well, that must be. I do. You know, I, I don't know. I, I got me 2000 AD. I dropped the magazine because I thought it was going off the boil. Probably being murderised now. But um, for 2000, 2000 AD, it's quite relaxing. Half an hour read at the most. And it's it's pretty much on fire. They do keep giving Pat Mills work. I'm not sure I remember. Anyway, slaughtering sacred cows here. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to get lynched by the online. No, no. I love, I love, I love Pat Mills for creating 2000 AD. I love him for his work on Misty. I love him for, you know, a lot of the stuff he did originally. And I love a lot of his original stuff he does now. So, you know, Defoe, which is kind of, as it's a zombie apocalypse in the 17th century. And it's a, it's a, a Puritan a zombie hunter. Mm. He's the zombie fighter general, and it's all steampunk technology, and the artwork's by Lee Gallagher, who's amazing. And I'm not just saying that because he's a scouser. It's just terrific stuff. That's amazingly good stuff. And he's brought back Savage, which is like, um, it was like a pseudo-Russian invasion, which was like quite sort of in-and-out war stories in early 2080s, but he's brought it back as more of a kind of resistance story with great artwork by a guy called um, Patrick Goddard. Love him. Love him to bits. Amazing stuff. But he keeps going back to, like, ABC Warriors, Slain, and um, Flesh, which is, like, Cowboys and Dinosaurs, which are all old, old strips that run on and off for years and years and years. And I don't think he has anything fresh to say. Oh, and it feels to me, and it's probably more me than anyone else, but it just feels to me like it's it's just turning through the same stuff and it's, it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I say, you know, I am, but I, it's just my opinion and it's probably wrong. But I love it. I love his fresh stuff, but stuff that seems unfresh to me. But um, I, I'm, I, 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 you're reading it and I'm thinking maybe, you know, the, the, be better, fresher stuff by newer writers that could get in the prog, but this is in the prog. It's a shame because there is lots of new, fresh stuff getting in the prog. It is very strong. Yeah, that's just me and my Pat Mills problem. Oh, excuse me. It's my problem, not his. <laughs> oh, cripes. Obviously, if I'm found in a canal with a hatchet sticking out my back, I know why. <laughs> oh, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, so do I. Oh, sorry, I'm just bummer. being actually disgusting now. I do apologise. There's nothing the matter with sluicing your nasal passages. <laughs> we all do it. This is true. It's prime time of year for that now as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I've just got one more thing I wanted to mention before I fall asleep. Cause I am, well, I am spent. So, I was going to say, yeah. I'm actually lying down in bed now, so this is getting dangerously close to just becoming a podcast of me snoring. So... <laughs> In a, in a bid to watch some more horror films, like, because we do this every Halloween, like, every October, me and Rich say, let's go Halloween thing, let's watch all these scary films, and then we watch about four and then forget or don't have enough time. But we we watched, uh, now that we've got Netflix this year, it's been a bit easier to watch a few more, and we watched um, Army of Darkness. Uh-huh. Which, uh, if you don't already know, oh, I know. I, I, I would imagine you know, but uh, for those that don't, it's the sequel to the Evil Dead stuff. And uh, and I've got to say, it threw me a bit because I've never seen Evil Dead two, but Rich informs me that that is basically Evil Dead one, but a little bit different. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's basically Evil Dead 1 with a budget and either with or without the tree rape. I'm not sure which one has the tree rape. I think um, Evil Dead has the tree rape, so Uh, it would be Som's tree rape. Without without the bad taste tree rape. Yeah, it's a little bit on the nose. Yeah. So, like, I I was really thrown at first because this the, the, the start of the film bears, like, basically no resemblance to the Evil Dead films. There's, like, such a brief overview of of what happened because i assumed the little the little bit at the start where he sort of tells you a little bit of a story about how he came to be where he is at the start of army mm-hmm. of darkness i thought that was recapping evil dead 2 and then rich informs me that no that's none of that's in there at all <laughs> and that, so i was like hold on at what point did he have to get a chainsaw for an arm like i don't it's kind of amazing though i want a chainsaw for an arm um, doesn't he doesn't he at the end of evil dead Two, he does fall into a... He falls through a portal, doesn't he? I don't... I really don't know. I've never seen it, but... I, he fall, he does, he, I'm sure he falls through a portal and then there's like a Ray Harryhausen thing, undead, winged thing, that he blows away with his shotgun. Yeah. And then that's... But that's also the start of Army of Darkness, I thought. Yeah, because I, be I was just sort of thrown into Army of Darkness wondering what the hell had happened to his hand more than anything else. I, was like, I can't remember. At what, at what point did this happen? But I've got to say, like, overall, I thought it was a brilliant film because it's kind of ridiculous and complete nonsense, but so much fun to watch. Mm. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, the, the story barely makes any sort of sense. And... He's got a chainsaw for an arm, for feck's sake, but it's Bruce Campbell being brilliant. Yeah, it's basically the Three Stooges with a chainsaw, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I uh, I really enjoyed it. And then I would, uh, yeah, I'd recommend, like, for people who don't mind, because I know I said earlier that I'm a bit of a stickler for, like, CGI and stuff. I'm fine with it if I know that the film came from a time before CGI got really good. (laughs) I I only sort of pick on it. Like, I don't mind animatronics and stuff. Like, Total Recall is one of my favourite films, despite the fact that it looks a fucking mess if you look at it now. But I don't care because I know that that's what they had to work with at the time that that was made. So, like, I didn't have any problem with Army of Darkness looking a bit shit in places as well. I mean, those, uh, those skeletons that came out of the ground were just stupid. But who can be darkness? That's all we had in the nineties. <laughs> How dare you? I'm sorry. I enjoyed it though. I'm not like ragging. I... No, I know it's it. it my thing is, it, it, there's like a, a journey towards comedy in those films, isn't it? But because there are like scare or you know some gore uncomfortableness in the first couple. Oh yeah, like or, uh... I think that's what 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 um sort of knocked me for six is that like from what I remember of Evil Dead which i got to admit I watched that last year uh, I made the mistake of watching a programme about like real life ghost stories with my friend who then left me in the house on my own while I decided to watch The Evil Dead which was a fucking mistake but <laughs> yeah it does sound a little uh, rash a little bit foolish but I I know there were sort of like funny bits in them it, well, I mean, like I say, I haven't seen two, so I wouldn't know about that. But, like, it did seem like quite a radical change of tone to me. Because, like, Evil Dead is quite genuinely creepy in places. Especially with, you know, the, the terrifying tree. Yeah. What a horrible scene. Yes. Yeah, you do kind of think, how did that get through? But then, oh, was it? Good idea. 
But wasn't Evil Dead like made like at the weekends? I don't know. I think because I think the house was one that they borrowed and they basically just like made it at the weekends, like out their own savings and stuff. So you can kind of see like oh, we got the tree, we got to bloody use it, sort of thing. Yeah, I just thought that yeah. was just. I I remember watching that the first time and like it's horrible to think about it. It like I know it sounds really weird. It makes no sense. <laughs> well, it makes no sense, but it also like in my head, I, I'm very strange at things like this. Like I was watching it. And instead of thinking, oh, how terrifying she's being raped, or, oh, no, how horrible, that tree must really fucking hurt, I was just thinking, oh, that tree's been outside all the time, it's really dirty, that's gross. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're officially weird. Yeah, that's the first thought that entered my head, is the bacteria that might now be up her trough. Right. (laughs) Oh, I'm such a lovely person that that's what I think about. But, yeah, Mm. Army of Darkness, I like it, and, and everybody else should like it too, or they're silly. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, quite, I wouldn't buy it, but uh, you know, I would watch it if it was on late night on Channel Five. Well, I, I did say to Rich, I'm glad that we watched it on Netflix because I think if I'd have like gone to an effort to to pay a lot of money for it, I'd have probably yeah. been like, oh, why? <laughs> but it's definitely an enjoyable. It's, it's throwaway fun. Yeah, it's a fun film. Uh, God, it's all up at your end, isn't it? I know. I know. I just can't. Oh. I can't, cope. I can't cope anymore. I'm just going to go to sleep. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I could never get to sleep that fast. Oh, I can. I, I won't tonight after Uh-oh. we've been talking about all this scary shit as well. Uh-oh. I'll be dreaming of like Michael Jackson trying to rape me with a tree or something. <laughs> oh, read, read Mother of Toads. Toads, that'll set you off nicely. I don't think I want to. I think I'm going to go and like watch Adventure Time and read a story about Hello Kitty or something. Right, okay. Something less, you know, genuinely terrifying. Well, okay. <laughs> Unless you happen to be scared of Hello Kitty. Well, I don't like cats, but Hello Kitty doesn't scare me. I was at the bus stop the other day and a cat came and sat on my feet. I would not have liked that. Well, I, don't, I, I didn't really mind because I had Converse on and it was quite cold, so the cat was actually warming up. I mean, that's, that's basically part of the problem with cats. They have no respect as a person of space. Yeah, no, they don't. It tried to get on the bus with me, and I was like, you really don't want to come to work in Alan Rockley. That's just foolish. Yes. It didn't quite understand the concept of that. And then how guilty would you be when you saw all the signs saying, Where's our cat? Missing cat. <laughs> right. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or plug or whatnot before? Uh... No, if you like role-playing or wargaming, if you know what they are, check out the blog, which is www.clockingcrew.wordpress.com. If you like hearing people talk about fictional universes, if they were real and deciding whether they work or not, listen to Dissecting Worlds, which is Dissecting Worlds. Is it just dissectingworlds.com, actually? Let me find out. Do you not know your own website? Well, no, because it's a... because it's on the Geeks, I mean, it is on the Geek Syndicate site, but we've got like a mirror site for where I think it's dissectingworlds.wordpress.com, but it's on the Geek Syndicate site. Go on the right and tweak, which is co.uk. And if you click on where on the left where it says Dissecting Worlds, you get all our goodness, or you can find all our goodness, thing too, from my blog as well. Uh, that's me whoring. Half man, half biscuit, they're good. That'll, that'll save you to talk about music. Uh, fair enough grizzly bear they're good there you go Uh, are they they are I like them they're on Jules Holland watch it (laughs) 
Uh, Jules Holland annoys me. Uh, he's a twat, isn't he? I wouldn't go that far, but he does annoy me. He does my head in. I just thought, fuck off, mate. Just let the people sing, will you? Yeah, but I like Squeeze, but still Jules Holland. Bit, bit, bit of an irritant. Bit like that episode of Dexter Watch. <laughs> I'm so intrigued to find out which one it was. I would laugh if it's like the one episode that's like universally hated. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't It's very strange. Anyway, yeah, sorry if I've been a bit bitty and a bit confused and talked too much. Hey, is, uh... that's fine. I apologise for doing a terrible introduction to you and not even mentioning Dissecting Worlds, but my brain has turned to squelch today. Your, your brain's turned to squelch. I had to, my I had to turned put to out a fire. It was a very traumatic experience, even though it was a controlled it, it was fire. A, it was a fictional fire. No, it was a real yeah. fire. It was a real fire. Oh, right. It was just a controlled fire <laughs> that we were just oh. pointed at, and I was like, oh, it's going to singe my brows. And uh, I had a bit of a cry. I didn't really cry. I, I did get quite uh, scared, though, that I was going to spread the fire around the whole building. <laughs> I don't think it's really worth you know, the training is really worth burning down a building, but mm. there you go. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's... Um, a bit risky? No, I think it's good. Uh, Something we should have more of that. Oh, it's... Not, not burning down buildings, but, you know, realistic training. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to do it again. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and I, I am sorry if I've talked too much, but I am used to trying to get a word in edgeways past Matt. <laughs> no, that's fine. Because you know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, meow. Saucer of milk, table two. Just that honesty. <laughs> right, oh, well, that was episode nine. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, or if you didn't, and you want to send me a message about it for some reason, you can drop me a line at statusparlor at gmail.com or I'm on the Twitters as stacebobt. I tweet too much, mostly about terrible. Services and um, spiders, but you know, occasionally I say something vaguely worthwhile. You know, last night I was live tweeting uh, America's Next Top Model, so you know, there's yeah, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you're all interested in that. Well, I I think we've all got our tweets that we find are very interesting for other people. I'm pretty sure everyone must be fed up with me randomly tweeting Kevin Peterson as a knobhead, but he is a knobhead. No bellend, isn't it? I've even can't even quote myself. Love right. the term bellend. It's such a. He is a he is a bellend. On that note. On that note. Good night, guys. Sweet dreams. Don't dream of too many scary things. No, and read good free stuff. Yeah, read the free stuff. And I'm definitely going to read Baltimore Plague Ships because I've looked at some of the artwork Mate. and it looks cracking. Mate, you should. I should. You should. What's going to be on my thought bubble list? Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm yes. going to see if I can try and get the second trade. Maybe I don't know if they'll have it for cheaps at Thought Bubble, but if they do, I'll be... Well, you know what, it, no, know what it'll be? It'll be something that I'll buy at Thought Bubble, and then I'll feel really guilty when I turn down all these indie people. <laughs> see, I've been a bit burned by indie people, so I tend to avoid that and just borrow indie books from other people, which is horrible because I'm not supporting the industry at all, but... Like, the few times I've thought, right, I'll spend some of my hard-earned cash on these things, I've hated them. Like, really hated them as well. Not just like, well, that wasn't very good. Like, genuinely like, why did I buy that? So, I'm a little... But there is some there is some really good stuff as well. Yeah, I'm obviously just finding all the shit things. Have you done Dead Queen? You've done Dead Queen Detective. Oh, well, you know, of course. Anything yeah. that Bevis mustn't does is something I want to see. Yeah, so... uh, you're familiar with the work of the win as well. Indeed, I am. I do, I do enjoy some win. He's good. Yeah. yeah. He's made of 
it's about the third goodbye. It is, isn't it? Let's let's actually go. This I'm, go I'm going chicken while there's a chance of me retaining my gonads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have a sleep. So like... yeah, I will do that after I know the aforementioned status. <laughs> oh dear! Bye. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Chief. See Bye. you soon. I ain't afraid of no ghosts.